0: E Kia ora and welcome to the Kakapo Files, a podcast from RNZ. I'm Alison Balance and it's great to be back with more Kakapo news. This is episode fifteen of the Kakapo Files and it's called "The Kakapo Chicks Are Still Hatching." Now, before we get to the latest news, and I know you're all on the edges of your seats for that, I'd like to just go back in time for a few minutes. I know that lots of you listening are quite new to New Zealand conservation and to Kākāpō conservation, and I'd just like to give a bit of context about where Kākāpō and Kākāpō conservation has come from. So let me introduce you to the late Don Merton. Don is famous as the man who saved the black robin. If you don't know this story, out on the Chatham Islands, the Chatham Island black robin got down to five individuals living on the top of a tiny cliff-ringed island, Little Mangari Island. There was a daring rescue. They carried the five birds down the cliffs, took them to the slightly bigger Mangari Island, and they brought them back from the very edge of extinction. There was one breeding pair amongst those five birds, and Old Blue and her partner Old Yellow are the ancestors of all of the living black robins. Don also led the kākāpō programme in the 1970s and through until the mid-1990s. Don worked for the Wildlife Service, the predecessor of the Department of Conservation, and I think more than anyone else, he articulated very clearly why it was important to save endemic species such as the kākāpō and the black robin.
1: In New Zealand... We may not have the ancient iconic architecture and works of art that other older nations have, but what we do have is even very much older and special because it's living, the tuatara, the kakapo, kiwi, that no-one else has these. We should be absolutely proud of them and regard them as as our national treasures, our, our national icons.
0: Back in the 1970s, when Don first started working with Kākāpō, the only population known was a few birds in some remote Fiordland valleys around Milford Sound. Things are going so well for Kākāpō these days, it's easy to forget that we nearly lost them. Here's Don again in his last ever interview, recorded a few months before his untimely death in 2012, remembering the early days of Kākāpō conservation.
1: Right along with the, with kākāpō, actually, it's been pretty touch-and-go. We we're very, very lucky to catch the kākāpō in time. The Fiordland population was clearly on the way out. They were functionally extinct. When we found them in the 1970s in Fiordland, the last few birds in the 1970s, we found 18 of them. They were all males. I doubt very much whether any females existed at that time or had done so during the, the previous 40 or 50 years, I think the females became extinct in Fiordland early last century. But what did happen, we got that little grant from National Provident Fund that enabled us to go to Stewart Island, and we got there just in the nick of time. We found a small population in the south of Stewart Island, and uh, it contained females. We thought we were safe. We thought it was a reprieve for the Kākāpō and us that we could back off and uh, we could just study the birds, find out a bit more about how they functioned. But in doing so, putting transmitters on them, we discovered much more. We discovered that they were actually on the way out too. Cats were killing them at an an alarming rate. In one year, uh, more than 50% of the transmitter birds were found dead, cat-eaten, and that was pretty scary stuff. It was a bit fortuitous, some of these discoveries. We discovered that they were in trouble. We had to do more. We had to do it urgently. So what we did, we bought some time by getting permission from Lands and Survey. In those days, we had to get permission from all sorts of people, forest service too, to poison cats, to trap cats around the Kākāpō area. We did that. It worked. No more Kākāpō were found cat-eaten, and we bought a bit of time in which to prepare Codfish Island Uh, to receive kakapo, we cleared codfish of possums and wekas, And then we were able to move the remnant kakapo population to codfish, uplift all surviving birds. I think we got 61 birds in total. That's all that remained after predation. We we had estimated something like 200 kakapo were were there when we first discovered it in the, the late 1970s. We got there just in the nick of time, discovered the problem just in the nick of time, moved the birds to codfish successfully, then they bred in 92, and we discovered that rats and food supply were big issues, that we had to do something about ensuring the food supply because the natural Rimu crop failed, and we, we soon discovered that that was not an unusual event for the Rimu crop to fail just on ripening. So we had to have some safeguards in place to compensate for that happening, which we, we have done by training them to take supplementary food. And also rats. Finally, some of us had suspected it for a long time that, uh, that rats per se, and Kiori in, in particular, were an issue at breeding time. And sure enough, that proved to be the case. But now we've got rid of them from all, all our Kankabau Islands. It's no longer an issue.
0: Thanks Don, that was the late Don Merton and it's worth just bearing in mind as we hear about the latest news, which I'm going to give you now, about how close we came to losing Kākāpō. So here's Deirdre Verko and she's the manager of the Kākāpō recovery team, of course, at the Department of Conservation. Kia ora Deirdre, and welcome back to the Kākāpō Files.
2: Kia ora Alison. thank you.
0: Now, we're all eagerly waiting by our little podcast machines, whether that's our phone or the computer, whatever it is, to, of course, get the latest numbers from you. So how is the Kākāpō chick population trending at the moment?
2: The trend is slowing down, but it's a fantastic number. We've got 72 live chicks as of today.
0: Wahoo! That's totally (laughs) fantastic. So that's 72 out of how many hatched?
2: That's out of 79 hatches.
0: Okay, and how many more... Fertile eggs, do you still have to go?
2: We still have seven viable eggs left to hatch, which hopefully will hatch no problem. Uh, And two of those are on whenoho and five on anchor.
0: So the best possible scenario would be 79
2: chicks. Yes, that's the absolute uh, most potential at this point. But we know Um, not to count them. (laughs) That's true, we know not to count them and I'm sure we will lose a few more chicks or um, potentially there will be issues with eggs so I'm just really happy with where we're at right now
0: I'm not surprised What's the time frame for those ones left to hatch? Are they days or weeks away?
2: A few weeks I think In fact I think the last egg is due to hatch around Easter which is quite nice
0: So the Grand Egg Tally, what was that in the end?
2: The Grand Egg Tally is 249 It's a staggering number. I had been hoping that Stella, who was our last uh, clutch that we found, might lay a fourth egg. Just to round that off to a nice two fifty, but I'm not sure she's going to oblige.
0: (laughs) Oh Well, they've um, been very obliging in all other respects. They have. Now, I know you've had a big push on in the last few weeks to put as many chicks as possible into nests. So how many chicks does that leave in the hand-rearing centre in Invercargill?
2: Uh, Very few actually, we've done a a fantastic job of getting most chicks out into nests so we only have nine chicks left in the hand rearing department and one more of those is going to a nest this week hopefully and that's your Queenie 3 with the wee broken leg (gasps) so that, that chick is completely healed and is really really strong, fantastic feeding really well, full of energy so we're hoping to get that chick into a nest on anchor this Wednesday which will bring us to eight hand reared birds and 64 I believe in nests which you know I really thought we could potentially be hand 30 or more birds this season so I'm really 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 pleased with that result.
0: Brilliant well I'm super pleased that Queenie 3 is out of her moon boot. I'm calling her a her of course we don't know the sex of any of these chicks do we?
2: No not really we're starting to guess some of them and we should get some results on that coming through soon I think excitingly we've got 5 nests out there with 3 chicks in each nest so you know, that's a really good result as well. I wouldn't have dreamed before the start of the season that we'd have three chick nests. Uh, so to have five of them doing really well uh, is great. And two of those on Senua Ho and, and three on Anchor. Um, so the Rimu fruit is just really doing its trick this year. and It's all over the ground when you walk around the island, it's fantastic to see.
0: If only we knew what it was that was the secret ingredient in the Rimu that you could use as a love potion so you could turn kākāpō breeding on and off when you wanted to without having to wait 20 years for a great rimu-fruiting mast to come around. I
2: know. I know if only, but, you know, nature knows best and it does really well when it's all going.
0: Thanks, Deirdre, for those amazing numbers. Now let's cross to Andrew Digby. He's the scientist for the kākāpō recovery team at DOC, and I've got a few listener questions to put to him, and he's going to tell us what it's like out on the islands at the moment. Kia ora and a very big welcome back to the Kākāpō Files, Andrew. Whereabouts are you at the moment?
3: Kia ora, Alison. Yeah, thank you. I'm on Fenuahoe, a very blustery and wet and windy Fenuahoe today.
0: I think that might be like that across the whole country. How did the weather go for you? It would have been last week now when we had all that severe flooding on the west coast. Did it get wet where you were?
3: It was wet, but it wasn't too bad. Yeah, we did have some heavy rain, but it was nothing like we had. We had a big rain event in the previous breeding season in 2016, so on how it wasn't too bad. Anchor, I think that well, they obviously got a lot more rain than we did here. They always do, but I don't think it was too bad.
0: Well, that's good to hear. So that answers actually one of the questions that we had from one of our listeners, Martin, who was wondering whether there had been any issues with the flooding this season, but I think the answer is no.
3: So far, no, we're off the fingers crossed, but that's something we've, after we lost those chicks, we lost three chicks in one flooding event one night on Anchor, and we've been much more mindful of it this time around, and making sure that all the nests are as watertight um, as possible, and making sure that they're not prone to flooding, which is what happened last time.
0: Now, do things continue to be just as busy as they have been all season so far on both of the islands?
3: Yeah, it's funny, the, the work switches a little bit, it switches gears slightly. At the moment, we're very much in a, a night work phase, so that most of the day work is finished, for, for most of us, we're still doing feed-outs, we still providing food to the birds, but most of us are just working nights, so you kind of get in a routine of just you know, desk work during the day and just out on the hill at nests during the night. So, yeah, it's reasonably calm, it's not too bad.
0: You're busily feeding the kākāpō lots of food still. Are they actually eating it, or are they mostly eating rimu?
3: They're mostly eating rimu, which is great, yeah, on both islands. It's fantastic. It's what we want. So we are providing it for them. Um, and some birds are eating a, a reasonable amount, but most of the females are just eating the, the rimu. Um, and we're mindful of the fact that the rimu will, will you know, maybe run out as well, so the rimu will drop off the trees and at some point the birds will switch back to the supplementary feed. So we want to keep them on to the, the subfoods.
0: Now, you're talking to me from the Portacom, which is also known as the incubator room. Are there actually any eggs still in there?
3: There are two eggs left in here, two of Coetan's eggs. One of them is just internally picked, so we're expecting that to hatch probably later tomorrow. So just two to go on
0: the That's super exciting. Now, I have a whole lot of listener questions for you. One is about the area of artificial insemination and sperm collection, which we've covered a bit on the show. But I'll read you the question anyway. So Jeremy, who's emailed from New South Wales and Australia, said recently Merino sheep were bred using some semen frozen 50 years ago. His question goes on, can kākāpō males be milked throughout the year or only during the breeding season? He did have milked in quotation marks. Does kākāpō semen stay viable when frozen? And ultimately, could a large bank of frozen Fiordland kākāpō sperm be created out-of-season for widespread use during breeding seasons.
3: Kakapo only really produce significant amounts of semen in breeding seasons, so we can only collect it at those times. They may produce smaller amounts in non-breeding years when they will still be booming, but it's not substantial amounts. We've tried some semen collection in those years, and it hasn't been very successful. The team has done some earlier work with freezing kakapo sperm, and it hasn't stayed viable enough for it, insemination and we've actually dropped back on that work to focus on fresh insemination because we haven't got artificial insemination to work for, for 10 years and even fresh and, and frozen is much harder than doing it fresh so we're focusing on the fresh first before we go back into the freezing the sperm but we, we may well get back into that and ultimately yes we would like to have that sort of sperm bank or cacophore sperm.
0: I did a story for Our Changing World, my regular science programme, and it would have been back in the 2009 breeding season when you were trialling the frozen sperm bank, which is before your time with the programme. Do those samples actually still exist?
3: Yes, we do still have those samples frozen. Yes, they are still there.
0: Now, another question. This one comes from Stephen, who would like to know, can I please have an update on Kākāpō on Little Barrier Island? As kākāpō numbers continue to increase, hopefully, he says, but I think that's it's looking good at the moment, Little Barrier Island, Hoturu will potentially have a major role to play, so it would be wonderful to know what's going on there.
3: Yeah, it's been an interesting one this year. So we just had that one mating event with Lisa, and she hasn't nested, so there's not breeding up there this year, which is a little bit surprising, and um, they haven't bred there since 2016, we're expecting them to also breed there. But we don't know the triggers like we do down on Anchor and fenoaho Ho. We don't know exactly what the, the tree fruits that they're breeding in response to are. We have some ideas, and, but we're not able to predict them like we are with the Rimu. So it's a little bit of a wait and see it's an experiment on ho to We're seeing whether kaka can breed there successfully and raise chicks without supplementary feeding. So it's still a bit of a trial site for us. And it's kind of watching this space. we will still keep the trial going. and But, yeah, I guess it's a little bit disappointing that they haven't bred for three years and maybe, maybe they'll breed next year.
0: And another question from Martin, who had asked about the bad weather... Would places like Secretary Island and Maungatautori Ecological Island become possible translocation sites? He says, I understand that Maungatautori, which, for those of you who don't know it, is a fenced sanctuary in the southern Waikato, it has a good population of mature rimu and other podocarps to provide a reliable food source to trigger breeding as well as good high-altitude habitat available, not only for seasonal foraging for fruits, but habitat closer to that of their Fiordland and Rakiura homes. So what might be the story with Maungatautori?
3: Well, Manga territory could potentially be an excellent site for kakapo. It's huge. You know, it's as big as Hoturu. and historically there were kakapo there. It's a, a similar question and it's a similar sort of situation to Hoturu in that we we won't know what the breeding triggers would be. It does have rimu, but it's at much lower densities than we have down south. So it's about a hundredth of the density of rimu there compared to Fenuaho, Ho, for example. It would be able to support some kakapo breeding with rimu. Um, but not like the density that we would have on the Fenuaho. But then again there may be other uh, tree species there which they would breed in response to which we're actually not sure about. So it's definitely on our radar. You know, Maybe one day we could have a breeding population of kakabur there. Initially if we did do anything there it would just have the non-breeding there uh, just to see actually how they cope in that sort of habitat.
0: I think the bigger issue in the uh, short term would be that it's surrounded by a predator proof fence which has a a cap on the outside of the fence to prevent predators climbing in, and it doesn't have a cap on the inside of the fence to prevent kākāpō climbing out.
3: Yeah, that's right. That's All of these predator-proof fences are obviously designed to keep predators out and not necessarily designed to keep birds in.
0: I think Sirocco has been used in the past to establish what it would take to stop a kākāpō getting out of a predator-proof fence, hasn't he?
3: Yes, he has, and there are potentially we might be doing some more trials with him.
0: Now, Secretary Island, which Martin also mentioned, is another Fjordland Island, so we've talked in the past about Resolution Island and perhaps Five Fingers Peninsula. What about Secretary Island?
3: Yeah, Secretary is possible, but they're a weka on Secretary, and so we're a little bit reluctant to put kakapo where weka are initially, just because of the potential mass predation.
0: Yeah, and if you're not from New Zealand, weka are large flightless rails, which are very predatory. And a question from Twitter? If you want certain birds to mate, as well as artificial insemination, can they move those birds to a quarantined or fenced part of the island so that only those birds have access to each other? I'm sure brains far smarter than mine have considered this, so there must be a reason.
3: Yeah, it's an idea. Um, I think it, it wouldn't really work with kākāpō because of this, this weird lek breeding system they have where the males display from high points. So you'd have to somehow separate those high points and have maybe, like on Fenewahoe, you could split the island in half. Logistically, that would be very difficult to do and very expensive. And so we have, a, I guess, a, a slightly different strategy of moving birds to different islands if we don't want them to mate with each other.
0: Now let's go back to the night work that you mentioned earlier on. You're spending the nights up at nests. What have you been doing for the last few nights?
3: The last few nights, I've taken new chicks up to nests. So these are... Chicks which have just hatched are about one or two days old and taken them and introduced them to mothers. Some of those mothers have already got one chick and, and over the last couple of nights I've introduced a new chick to a mother who just had a, was sitting on a dummy egg. So that's that's really an exciting time. It's really good to get the chicks out of the hand-rearing. And at the moment on Fenuaho we have no chicks down at the hut, so no new new little chicks there. So that's quite a milestone. It's been quite some time since we've been in that situation.
0: So which are the and chicks and who have you taken them to?
3: So we have recently taken Ihi's chicks. So Ihi has gone to Sue, and we've taken Puda's chicks to Bella, and I've taken Margaret Marie's chicks up to Tumeki. So, and we've actually got quite a lot of siblings together at the moment, which has been great. So we've got, for instance, Ihi two and Ihi three are with Sue, and Puda two and Puda three are with Bella. And so it's quite nice to keep the siblings together, make things a little bit easier to remember who's where.
0: Do any of the mothers have their own chicks?
3: Yes, we have some mothers with their own chicks. So Rakiura, for example, has one of our own chicks. Suzanne has her own chicks. So, yeah, we've been able to do that more this year. And because the rhema is fruiting and because the chicks are doing so well, most of the nests have two chicks and then some have three chicks, and they're all doing really quite well. So, yeah, that's really quite exciting.
0: What are the males doing at the moment? Are they still booming or have they given up?
3: They are still booming, and they're kind of winding down, and the patients are scrapping amongst each other quite a lot. So some of our sites, like uh, Alice's Nest on Trenuaho, and there's three males who live there, near there, uh, Arab Luke and Joe. And the last few times I've been there, there's been lots of fighting going on. They're all squarking at each other and scrapping. They kind of wind down the booming. They do a little bit of booming, but then they mostly sort of fight amongst each other. So. Yeah, that's quite a noisy time. It's quite quite exciting being in that nest at the moment.
0: I imagine that all of those males will have lost a lot of weight over the breeding season.
3: Yes, they, they will. They'll have lost often a kilogram, you know, maybe a third of their body weight. Um, so they'll be in quite poor condition. And we'll probably catch some of them quite soon just to check that they're OK. Uh, and also those ones that have been fighting quite a lot as well, we've been finding quite a lot of fight sign on the track. So we'll probably just catch up with those and make sure they haven't badly injured each other.
0: Do you have to replace their transmitters because you have to make their transmitter harnesses much looser so that they can grow into them as they're putting on weight for the breeding season? Do you have to do the opposite once they lose some weight?
3: Yes, we might have to. Um, They'll all get their transmitters changed in probably July or August, but we'll catch up with some of those males who have had these big weight fluctuations before then. So
0: you've, you've still got these tiny chicks that you're taking up to the nest. How are all the bigger chicks getting on?
3: Yeah, the bigger chicks are doing well. So on Fenowahoe, we've got some chicks who are about up to 50 days old, who are some of our older chicks, and they're doing well. For example, in in Rakiura's nest, we have some birds which are sort of, some chicks are 45, 50 days old, and they're all growing very, very well. And because they've been fed remu fruit, they're either on or above the mean of where we expect them to be weight-wise. It's quite exciting. We're starting to microchip those birds. We microchip them around about a month old. And they'll be fledging within within three weeks. And they'll only fledge around about 70 days or so. So soon some of those chicks will start wandering away from the nests. We will be checking up on them every few days once they fledge. So that's going to be a really busy time as well. We've got so many chicks this year, we'll do have to do lots of running around in the daytime, making sure that the fledged chicks are not getting themselves into trouble.
0: At what point do you decide that they are now officially a part of the population?
3: Yeah, so we normally do that when they fledge. And we uh, do tend to have a 150-day limit as well. So once they're above 150 days old, we normally say that they're part of the population. So, yeah, it's quite a long while yet before we're at that stage, and it's certainly too soon to add on the number of adults and add the number of chicks and say that's how many carcass we've got. We certainly don't do that on the team. We don't sort of count our chicks until they're fledged and until they're 150 days old.
0: Thanks, Andrew. That was Andrew Digby and we also heard from Deirdre Verco and they both work for the Kākāpō Recovery Team at the Department of Conservation. Now for more blasts from the past, I'll post links to some past stories about Kākāpō conservation that I recorded for my RNZ science programme Our Changing World back in the 2009 breeding season. That includes a story about the creation of the frozen sperm bank and the earliest artificial insemination attempts, as well as a story about the discovery of a lost kākāpō, rangi, who had been missing for 20 years. You'll find those links at the webpage for this week's episode, episode 15 of the kākāpō files, and that's at rnz.co.nz kākāpō. Now we don't yet have certainty about the final number of kākāpō chicks to hatch, but I thought you might appreciate some certainty over when the next episode of The Kākāpō Files will appear. Because things are slowing down a little bit, and also because I'm juggling my time around trips away to record stories on things like kia, New Zealand's mountain parrot, as well as predator control on remote islands in Fiordland, I'm going to make episodes fortnightly from here on in. This means the next episode will be on Tuesday the 16th of April. Keep an ear out then. Thanks for all your feedback and questions. You're certainly a vibrant Kākāpō community to make a podcast for. This has been episode 15 of the Kākāpō Files from RNZ. I'm Alison Balance. Catch you next time. Mate wa.